This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I would say take and create opportunities, which basically just means that when somebody asks you to do something or an opportunity presents itself, say yes. Even if you don't think you might be interested in the particular thing, even if it's something that doesn't feel like comfortable or familiar to you, Take that risk, take that opportunity, and vice versa. Create opportunities. Invite other people to do the exact same things. Even if you don't think it's going to be inside their wheelhouse or even if it might be weird for them, give it a shot. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time with Sheila Liming. Sheila is an associate professor at Champlain College, where she teaches classes on literature, media, and writing. She's the author of her latest book, which we are going to dive into today, Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. In addition, Sheila is the author of What a Library Means to a Woman, Office, and she is also the editor of a new edition of Edith Wharton's The Age of Innocence. Her essays have appeared in venues like The Atlantic, McSweeney's, Latham's Quarterly, The Los Angeles Review of Books, Public Books, and The Point, <laughs> and much, much more. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here. So I've been looking forward to hanging out with you. Yeah, likewise. I've been looking forward to this too. I'm, in, I'm enjoying hanging out. <laughs> Did this, so this concept, it seems so, so simple, hanging out. And as you write about, it has not, it's not that easy anymore in the culture that we live in. And so I'm wondering, as a place to start, did this topic like just hit you one day or has it been something that's bubbling bubbling up for a while yeah um it built gradually i would say for me i i think of hanging out as something that like you say is an incredibly simple uh topic or concept that's easy to understand yet really difficult to achieve and increasingly difficult to achieve mm -hmm. um and that's something that i was basically noticing in little bits and pieces over a period of several years and this was even prior to the covid 19 pandemic which of course made hanging out a lot harder mm -hmm. or made it a lot different for all of us too as we were forced to sort of shift to doing most of our hanging out online or in highly mediated digital environments. So I, I was thinking about hanging out um, 
in in part because I had noticed my own difficulties to sort of access the kind of, you know, relationships with friends and family members and things that I felt I'd had in the past, but also those around me too. Um, and this had to do with, you know, kind of a, an increase in things like social anxiety, but also um, an increase in the difficulties and conflicts in our own lives that make it hard for us just to find the time to hang out with each other. It does seem to be like historic. If you look back over generations, um, and I just think back of it's still at parts in parts of the country, as I imagine it, is like sitting on the porch, right? If we just go back to the basics, the sitting on the porch um, or sitting around the family dinner, um, mm -hmm. having tea or coffee, is it, do you think it still happens? I'd like to think it does, but I think it's probably that something that happens a little bit less often. Mm -hmm. um, and I say this as a person who actually has a very nice porch on my house yeah. um, that I enjoy hanging out on when the weather in Vermont actually pits, permits me to do that. And yeah, something that inevitably happens if I have the time to be out there is I will end up talking to my neighbors, right? I'll, I'll see them outside in their yards or on their porches and we'll end up having these informal conversations that help me to feel a little bit more included in my immediate community. You, you wrote, hanging out is about daring to do nothing much, and even more than that, about daring to do it in the company of others. Again, simple. However, there are lots of factors that are preventing uh, environmental factors, well, weather, um, pandemic, and then mm -hmm. personal factors you hit on, you, you said social anxiety, you know, as one personal factor, introversion, you know, I could, mm -hmm. there's a lot, this dynamic of what it takes to just hang out. What do we, like, what does someone need to be thinking about to purposely start to consider this as a, as a mindful, intentional act? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing it takes is time. That's the starting place, right? But also recognizing that time that is spent hanging out can be time that is well spent. It's not necessarily time that is doing nothing or time that is non-productive. Um, it's time that we dedicate to our relationships with each other, which is, in fact, very, very important. Um, and I think it does require, like you were saying, a little bit of self-awareness, or we can think of it as mindfulness, to recognize that that time has value mm -hmm. and also to actively prioritize it. Mm -hmm. um, I think in a hyper-scheduled world where we live by our Google calendars and where we live by appointment slots and meetings and things like that that take up a lot of our time, the first second when we get a few minutes to ourselves, usually the, what we do is we engage in sort of more introverted activities. That's the tendency, right? Mm -hmm. So we check out and we look at our phone or we watch TV or something like that, which is fine for resetting and recharging. But um, I worry about the way that that becomes a kind of entrenched behavior that prevents us from socializing with other people too. Mm -hmm. As someone who has always leaned towards achievement orientation and, you know, like, being productive, accomplishing, you know, the end of the day, like, you know, checking off, well, what did I do? What did I get done? Um, and, and liking that feeling, I have to work really hard and be very intentional and purposeful about um, just going for a walk or going for a walk, um, you know, going for a walk with my wife, hanging out with friends. And I value that stuff a lot. And it's, it just feels like at times it, it, it has to be squeezed in or it doesn't necessarily 
Like I could feel like it doesn't have the same value as accomplishing certain things at work or checking off the list. Like, so I'm just like putting out there this, do you like, what is your, what is your bent when it comes to how you, you know, structure your life? Well, first of all, I will say that I, I sympathize with you and I view myself in the same way. I am not very good at relaxing mm -hmm. and I'm not very good at doing nothing. It's actually something that my partner comments on all the time. It's like, you just need to chill out sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in part, I was interested in exploring the topic of hanging out, you know, a little bit because I knew that I'm not someone who excels at it all the time. And I do have to kind of consciously think about um, the value of what I'm doing um, in those moments when I like try to make time to hang out or to relax or especially to like put myself in contact with other people um, and engage in social activities in that way. Um, I think I, I tend towards a kind of like introverted set of behaviors mm -hmm. and understanding that I tend towards that introverted set of behaviors has been important for me to understand like how I have to balance that out with extroverted behaviors too, you know, for the sake of being in the world of existing as part of my community, as part of a democracy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, and go with the, I did, I was really intrigued with what you wrote about how hanging out is part of a democracy and it's, it's part of like, it's part of our, um, the, su the sustenance of, of, of a democracy is connecting with and being with people. So tell everyone your ideas about that. Sure. Um, well, I think of hanging out as in some ways the bedrock of democratic life. Um, it involves, you know, not just existing socially with other people and the people that we already care about, our friends and our family, but also existing to some extent socially with strangers, with people in our community who we don't know anything about, and maybe even people that we might struggle to understand. And one thing that happens when you're hanging out in the presence of strangers is you are inevitably going to be exposed to things that maybe threaten or challenge you or things that feel just difficult for you to wrap your head around. I think that is a good democratic exercise. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we spend all our times, you know, indoors, locked to our phones and our filter bubbles away from those experiences that maybe challenge us, then we run the risk of you know, losing the stamina for dealing with those interactions when we encounter them, um, mm -hmm. for feeling that, you know, when we run into somebody who doesn't agree with us, that that's a bad thing, that we have to run away or mm -hmm. flee that situation rather right. than developing the patience to kind of deal with it. Yes, yes. Particularly during these times, they're, they're these current times, it's so important to um, for us to connect with others and learn about others' points of views and try to have uh, respectful discourse, right? Mm -hmm. Respectful exactly. discourse about learning and understanding. Um, the other, so something I really respect about you, um, there's a, many things I respect about you. First of all, everyone, um, Sheila is a bagpiper. That's one of her <laughs> very interesting things about her. She's also been in bands. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. And, um, also, you've never been on Facebook, which <laughs> I think is so awesome. And where I can relate to that is I had to, I, am not on Facebook, um, personally, and I had to learn how to get on Facebook during the pandemic when I was doing some Facebook lives, like trying to keep us all together. And now I forgot how to do it because I stopped doing that. So, um, when it comes to the point you make though, about Facebook, Facebook parties, um, you know, and how that changed, that has really changed the landscape along with, we'll get into reality TV as well. Um, the landscape of what it really means to hang out. 
Like there's mm-hmm. almost like two kinds of hanging out. There's the one that you're set up for. You have to look a certain way, do a certain thing, be in the in-group or out-group, and then the old-school way of just like, hey, you want to hang out? Yeah. Um, parties for many people are, I think, in themselves opportunities for social anxiety, um, yeah. depending on how you feel about parties. But when you add to that the idea that whatever party you attend is going to be somehow broadcast to additional audiences, maybe even beyond your control or without your consent, you know, that other people are going to see and judge you by your actions and how you look in this moment, that sort of changes the view for how we think about what those occasions are even supposed to be. So whereas this would be, you know, a kind of festive occasion for celebrating some or hanging out with friends or hanging out with family, it suddenly becomes an occasion that is used for self-promotion or, you know, Mm -hmm. sharing that with people who are not part of that friend group or that circle in ways that um, I think changes our understanding of the audience um, Mm -hmm. for what we're doing in those moments. And I think this is an interesting phenomenon in the book. I talk about how when I went to college in the early 2000s, we sort of lived through the Facebook moments. Um, When I first got to college, we didn't have it. And then it appeared, I think, around my junior, senior year, it started to be used on my campus. And there was this sea change that occurred in the way that people got together and hung out, especially at parties, where all of a sudden the point of a party was now to get people together in a room so you could take pictures of them, so you could post it on Facebook, so you could prove you have to party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it hasn't changed that much. And yeah, and it's getting to younger and younger um, people. It you absolutely know, I mean, is, yes. Um, I have a, a niece and nephew who I'm pretty close to, who I spend a lot of time with, and I notice it in their behaviors, too. Um, mm-hmm. That moment when somebody takes out their phone and starts to act like, well, I'm going to preserve this for another audience. And even though, you know, they're young, they're four and seven, right. but they immediately yeah. respond wow. differently. Like, they yeah. they read the change and they respond to it. Yeah, and it's just become part of the fabric of our culture. That's why these conversations are so important. And for um, parents to just be aware of their own behavior and uh, parents, aunties, uncles, everyone in the village, <laughs> aware of their own behavior while we're also trying to help these young people figure out what it really means to hang out and to talk. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you from my experience with um, my own kids and uh, clients is that, you know, talking, yeah, yeah, we've been talking usually doesn't mean talking. It usually means DMing or texting or snapping. Mm-hmm. And so this, it's this whole, the, the language is different about hanging out now. Right. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, a couple of friends who, um, I consider to still be people who are like active in my life and stuff, but, it, but I only hang out with them via text message, right? Like that's the only way I've seen them in mm-hmm. the past couple of years. And sometimes that has to do with distance, but also I think that becomes a more and more acceptable way to hang out with some people in some ways. That's a good thing. And I, and I mm-hmm. try to talk about in the book, how that can be mm-hmm. a good thing to maintain relationships with the, that way. But um, in some ways there's also a detrimental side to that too. Well, and you, you do cover all the different, types of ways of hanging out, which is important. Like this, there isn't like a, you know, as you said earlier, you're not always excelling at hanging out, which I thought was funny because here we are trying to, we're trying to talk about a thing where we reduce pressure. We just kind of, you know, kind of just step into something, take a risk. And yet there's of course the, um, the editor or the, uh, the judge, which is saying like, how good am I doing at this? And it, and this is where it comes, it comes back to, you know, does something have to, is there a certain way to hang out, you know, and you talk mm-hmm. about, well, we can hang out at work. 
We can hang out at a party. We can hang out online. And there are these multiple ways of hanging out, some with different costs, but all possible ways for connection. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did a workshop for employees at um, Discord, which is, you know, yep. a, a, a hanging out app basically that was yeah. created so that people can hang out on the internet while they're playing video games or doing work or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I was talking with them in the workshop about like how the origins of the app were designed to actually facilitate that kind of conversation that could go on in the moment while you were doing another task, right? That was like shared amongst the group, um, which I actually think is very important. I don't think it's the only kind of hanging out we should be doing. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate the ways in which we've been able to kind of expand the sphere of hanging out through digital tools. Absolutely. Um, and Discord does just from learning also about how it was built and how it evolved, a really genuine, authentic uh, mission to connect people together before, obviously, far before the pandemic, but lots of people who either geographically are isolated are isolated um, just because of um, their place in life, other mental health or physical issues, um, not feeling like they have their people, being off in a remote place. Um, these are wonderful tools to connect. And do you, is there, you know, I, I don't want to, is there better, worse? Like, is there, are there rankings from your research of like, you know, what kind of hanging out? we need or the or the recipe of the the types like the to make up the whole pie <laughs> um well i i don't necessarily rank like you know various tools or various means yeah. of hanging out i try to avoid that but um i do try to look at those various forms and those various tools um you know as existing somewhere along a spectrum um, in terms of like what they encourage or what kind of behaviors they promote. And one thing I, I really appreciate about certain digital tools is the way that they actually sometimes facilitate hanging out in person. And I think that this is a shift that we went through just recently as a culture and as a society during the COVID-19 pandemic about five, maybe as much as 10 years ago, you know, we would have been hanging out in person and then using digital tools to kind of like enhance that hangout. So we'd meet someone, we'd talk to them, we'd get their phone number, then we'd text them later on or something. Mm -hmm. And now it is often the reverse. We will begin a relationship uh, through a digital interface, whether mm -hmm. that's Discord or it's a social media app like Twitter or it's something like that. And then we will eventually move at some point to hanging out with them in person. So I will say that, you know, in terms of thinking about how tools facilitate this process, um, I'm in favor of the ones that actually encourage that kind of movement to being like, if you can do this, you know, online, perhaps you can also make it happen face to face, too, because I think that's a really mm -hmm. valuable component. Absolutely. And the you know, you talk about the, like, like again, hanging out for others or for images versus what I'm calling more authentic hanging out. I don't know what, what word we would use, but just kind of like good old school hanging out. And this, this happened, this experience happened to you ending up on a reality TV show, right? the, like <laughs> yeah. the, the, which is so, so interesting. Like the transformation of like, this is a real friend that I hang out with. Oh, now they want me to hang out on screen. And then the evolution of that experience and that friendship. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, I write about the experience of um, becoming a part of a friend of mine's reality television show on the Food Network. Um, and from the beginning of when I met this person and started to be her friend, and then she started to get famous and then eventually had this show that came along. And my work as her friend shifted to being like... Um, done in a kind of public context, you know, for the sake of 
television and cameras and viewers and everything. And as that was happening um, over the course of about two years, um, I noticed that my friendship with her was actually sort of declining. It was it was becoming less and less robust, um, even as I was continuing to sort of play at the work of being her friend on television. So okay. it was a very confusing experience. And it, it provided the seed of a lot of the thinking that I ended up doing in the book um, of thinking about, you know, um, what we do when we're hanging out for the sake of other audiences who we expect to see us doing that versus what we do when we're trying to hang out in a more authentic sense, um, right there for the person who's in front of us, you know, in mm-hmm. order to be their friend or to be there for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's totally different when there is another expectation. Mm-hmm. And even when that expectation is, as you point out, like just getting a good picture to document it's like so much energy goes in to the um, the the memorializing and the mm-hmm. showing of the situation. It takes away from the situation. And I know even in I don't take a ton of pictures, but I know when I am trying to capture something with the family or something with friends or a beautiful picture when we're out somewhere of nature, it's like my energy is going towards that as opposed mm-hmm. to actually being in the moment and being with the people or being with the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so travel. <laughs> you also talk about, I love that, um, just happy memories of traveling and mm-hmm. the idea of traveling alone, um, which I was thinking, um, I don't know, are we allowed to do that anymore? Is that safe anymore <laughs> to be a, you know, a young woman traveling alone? Like it, 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 it was nostalgic for me to learn about your travel experiences. And as you look back, you know, you're looking back about these stories of hanging out. What, you know, how do you, how, tell us about that experience of these hangouts and the risks and what, mm. what turned out and what didn't turn out as a result <laughs> of you stepping into these, um, these, um, relationships. Well, in the book, I, in a chapter called Hanging Out with Strangers, um, I talk about the experience of traveling by myself and yeah, meeting and getting to know some strangers. And, you know, I, I kind of position that narrative within this kind of feeling of like, oh, stranger danger, right? Because I was, Mm -hmm. I was young when I was doing this, I was in my young twenties. And I think that we do see that setup, you know, a young woman in her young 20s as being perhaps vulnerable or as, you know, courting danger of a kind. And, you know, the story that I tell, you know, spoiler alert here, but it's actually one that does not result in any danger. Mm-hmm. Um, everything works out to be completely fine, even though there's these moments along the way where I'm hanging out with these, you know, people who I met randomly on a street in Scotland, um, where it seems like danger could happen, but then it doesn't. Um, and all that happens is I get to know these people over the course of the evening. Um, and then I go on my merry way and I, I go back to the United States and they go back to their lives. Right. And, and that's it. But I have these wonderful memories of, of being with them um, and of, you know, learning about them over the course of an evening. So, um, you know, part of what I'm trying to combat there is that idea that there's an inherent risk in talking mm-hmm. to a stranger, in mm-hmm. starting up a conversation or even like broaching intimacy with a person that you don't already know. I mean, there are some risks. I think most of them are pretty minimal, though, um, the average ones, which is like a feeling that that person's not going to want to talk to you or doesn't want to hang out with you or doesn't want to get to know you. So some mild form of rejection. Um, there are bigger risks, of course, too. But I think 
often the bigger risks are much less likely to happen. And really the most of what is probably going to happen in the moment is we'll just like fleetingly get to know somebody a little bit and then that'll be the end of that. Mm-hmm. So I I think about that experience in terms of the risk that I thought I was taking on versus what actually happened there, which ended up being pretty positive overall. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of us who have been fortunate enough to travel internationally, um, especially in the younger years, the connection to people and meeting people, um, being in a hostel, being in a bar, Mm -hmm. um, amazing. Like, it's amazing. Um, It is amazing. When everything goes goes well. Um, And again, it often does. Um, all right. Another connection that I had with you and your experience is the idea of conferences. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Conferences, which, you know, have changed since the pandemic. And, um, so first of all, I just have to acknowledge there's a story you're all are going to want to, I just really like how you handle the individual and the quote misunderstanding um, you handled that very well. And, um, I think you handled it very well in real life and from what I gather, and you handled it very well in the explanation and Thanks. conferences for everyone. Those of you who go to them and those of you who, who haven't, um, lots of interesting things happen at conferences. Um, and you meet all sorts of people and you're there generally to meet people and people have different, um, ideas for connection at, at conferences. But I, so I wanted to talk about conferences with you because I was reflecting on earlier in my career and the excitement of going to uh, conferences within my field and how even though we were, you know, grinding all day at, um, you know, giving talks, listening to talks, uh, doing the formal networking, it was always the nights and the hangouts were the deepest connections and for me some lifelong and the most important professional creative collaborations happened just hanging out absolutely yeah um the thought of conferences i think really scared me when i was younger you Mm -hmm. know um, when i was a graduate student and before i'd kind of really got my footing in my career the thought of having to go to this place where i would interact mostly with strangers all of whom were you know better known and better accomplished and in better power positions of power than me. That really freaked me out. And that word networking used to really freak me out too. Mm -hmm. Until I I eventually came to realize that when we talk about networking, what we're talking about is essentially hanging out, right? Um, We are talking about existing with other people, conversing with them, getting to know them, kind of sharing, you know, trade experiences or secrets or whatever it happens to be. Um, And then in the process, learning a little bit more about the professional field that we occupy, because, you know, one thing that happens a lot of the conferences I go to is many of us will compare teaching experiences. We're, We're all college professors. We'll get in a room and we'll say, well, I tried this assignment in a class one time. Here's what happened. Or somebody will say, I've been noticing this with the students I've been working with recently. And then other people will trade stories. And that is so essential if you otherwise, you know, feel like you don't always have that input from comparing, you know, institutions and student populations and everything like that. Um, It's a great learning experience, most of which just revolves around socializing. And Mm -hmm. that to me is a really important component of conference life. It's something that people kind of knock sometimes and say like, oh, conferences, they're they're just for hanging out. And I'm like, yeah, they are. That's actually why they're important. Mm It's, I think it's huge and it speaks to, again, relationship um, and how so much of our life and our collaborations come out of a connection with someone. And 
as you write, there's something that's happened along the way where we've, and like a, a lot with the technology in our digitized age, where we're always scheduled, you're on someone's calendar, calendar or calendar Lee, you know, you're putting something in there. Um, I know my day, I've always lived and lived and died by my schedule. And it's in this digital age, it seems like we have to push harder and harder to be in the gaps, yeah. like to push for the gaps and to maybe make those gaps larger than what we see every day on our screen and where we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be doing what with. Yeah, that's a great way to think of it is like finding a way to exist in the gaps and, and also to you know, make the most out of them um, mm -hmm. to sort of seize the potential of the gaps there. I'm, I'm thinking of a conference that I went to this past winter, and it was the first in-person conference I'd attended in like four years, you know, basically mm -hmm. since COVID kind of shut them down. Um, and it was strange because the conference wasn't quite back up and running at full force. Like there was still a lot of virtual panels and things mm -hmm. going on. So about half of us were in attendance. But it was actually kind of nice, too, because the crowd was smaller. And so with just that half of the population in attendance, there were actually far more opportunities for running into people you know or grabbing someone for a cup of coffee because those schedules that you were talking about, they were a little bit less packed mm -hmm. than they would be normally, I think, due to the reduced size of things. Mm -hmm. um, so it felt really good. I, I felt like I had opportunities to talk to people that you know I hadn't been able to connect with in years or, or even otherwise people I, I barely knew prior to being Yeah, there. yeah. So it's, it's looking for the opportunities. Um, also, the, the word that keeps coming up is taking risks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that's a big part of, um, a big part of your, your, mod, your hangout model. Um, mm -hmm. And everyone, I'm saying that model with a small M. This is more <laughs> about hanging out. Not, it's not a metric. Mm -hmm. um, and to that, I like this statement that you made, this um, anti-perfectionistic, anti-achievement-oriented statement, which is, um, a person does not excel or fail at hanging out so much as they do it or they don't. Right. So like, like we're let's, you're making this easy for us in the sense, like you don't have to be good at it. You either like, yeah. it's like, it's trying it, right. It's yeah. stepping out and often it's stepping out of one's comfort zone to do it. Yeah. There's no hanging out Olympics out there and there's, yeah. there's no awards that are going to be given for good or bad hanging out. Um, I think it's really just a matter of doing it, taking the risk, giving things a chance or a try versus abstaining from doing that. Um, you know, choosing not to, or structuring your life in such a way that those opportunities don't really come around. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's, let's figure out how we can help adults help their young people hang out the thing that we all did when we were young right yeah. which is like it's crazy that we're even talking about this like i remember those long summer days i i they lasted forever and all my brother and i did was ride our bikes around went to our neighbor's house down the street which seemed so far away at the time um come home by the time it's dark i mean literally was all about like walk around um, houses that were being built and collecting nails <laughs> and then wood for our fort. It was just, it's, it was, it feels so innocent at the time. And then when I look at our kids growing up, it's, it's different. And now with the next generation, it's just different. So how do you, what do you suggest for parents, adults, um, educators, you know, everyone who's guiding these young people into the importance of connection? And, and hanging. 
Uh, in the book, I offer the analogy that play is to children as hanging out is to adults. Um, so hanging out being a kind of play for adults. And we don't begrudge children their play, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we actually encourage it we, because we know that play involves learning, it involves improvisation, it involves the building of social skills, learning about the world, everything like that. So we, we actively encourage children to play. And you know maybe sometimes we place limits on how that play needs to happen, but we let them basically go at it. And then something happens in adulthood where it's like we don't grant ourselves the same time and opportunities and right. um, moments that we grant children in that context. Mm-hmm. And you know I, I have been thinking a lot about how adults model hanging out to children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about you know like how my own parents did that and other parents that I know now. And I think there is a sense that you have to show what play looks like as an adult in order for kids to understand that, you know, that's not just something that's the province of childhood. That's something that needs to be practiced all throughout your life, that those things, that socialization, the learning, all those skills that come through play, they don't stop at a certain point. Like you've got enough of them and you don't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's really a lifelong learning process. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking about, um, I have a set of neighbors um, who are really wonderful and I'm very close to their child who's seven years old. And, and we often get together and there's a kind of intermix between like playing and hanging out that occurs between, you know, myself, my partner and them. And I really value that because not being a parent myself first, you know, it, it allows me to kind of attach to what's going on in their lives too. But also because with having the kid with us, it's like, we are a little bit more playful in the moment, right? Right. You know, just having her there, um, changes the dynamic of what we're doing together. I think the hardest part for parents is of course, finding the time to hang Mm -hmm. out. And, you know, it's it's an issue of priorities that you have to recognize that there is um, importance to it and you have to make time for it if possible. Yes. Mindful. Be intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, you also what you said just triggered something for me, which is um, when we think about creativity and creativity is a big part of your um, personal and professional life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we know that in school, unfortunately, creativity starts to get like dampered down by the feedback that kids get in school. And sometimes we talk about like third grade, fourth grade, and now it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's not about coloring, so to speak, it's coloring inside the lines and it's doing things, <laughs> doing things based on the assignment as opposed to more of a free flow. And so we have to be very at home in our schools. We have to be very intentional about trying to keep the creative spirit, creative thinking, divergent thinking alive and encouraged and reinforced. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be very specific about it. It's the same thing I'm I'm thinking with hanging out with our kids because at some point they start to get scheduled, they have sports, mm-hmm. they have theater, they have tutors. Um, and they get scheduled. And then I hear in my mind this, so how are you going to use your time? How are you going to make the most of your time? You know, with your limited time, free time today, how are you going to like all the, it's like just becomes part of our socialization. And this is something that you're saying we need to really think about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that key element for me is like you were saying, creativity and, and improvisation. And improvisation is something that kids really do so well. Like you were talking about going through the building sites where homes are being yeah. built and playing with nails, right? Yeah. But yeah, you can give kids anything, any kind of room or set of you know objects, and they find a way to improvise and play with them and to make them into something where they you know will end up finding entertainment or or value or joy in that. Um, 
adults eventually end up doing a less good job of this. I think over time that improvisational quality goes away to the point sometimes where I think if we have, you know, 30 minutes or an hour of unstructured time for some of us that it ends up being terrifying Mm -hmm. where we suddenly realize there's a hole in my schedule. I don't know what to do with it. I better, you know, look at my cell phone for a while and, and figure out how to fill the hole um, yeah. as, a, as opposed to maybe being more alert for the opportunities that could come along in that moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so say a little more about being alert for the opportunities that can come along, because I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, Well, I think one of the things that we do when we have a spare moment and we shift our attention away to our phone, especially if there's other people around us, is we signal to the people around us that they are not important to us and not necessarily worth our time, but somebody else is, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this swiveling of the attention to like, somebody who exists somewhere else who is worth our time. And maybe that's time that we need to put in, you know, that has to be done. But if we're really experiencing free time and we're in the company of other people, there are other opportunities for how we can spend that free time, right? Including talking to them, creating a conversation with them or improvising, right? This sense of, do you want to go do X or, Hey, I'm headed here. Do you want to come along? Mm -hmm. Um, This is like a friend of mine recently talked about, um, how he has certain friends that he loves to run errands with because he knows that they're just kind of game for anything and they'll like come along if they have a few free minutes. And it actually made me think of when I was a kid and I used to run errands like with my dad and he'd be like, you want to go to the hardware store? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) let's do that. You know, but that, that sense of having these really low stakes objectives um, and then being alert to the opportunities that could come from just, yeah, going along because then you get to spend time with your dad or you get to spend time with that person, your friend. Yeah, and the, I'm just thinking about the, um, gosh, the paradox of technology and phones and um, no tracking, you know, knowing people's location and being able to get a hold of everyone. And we, my wife and I have told our kids like that some of our most exciting times were, um, were in college, you're trying to meet up with friends and you have this tentative plan mm-hmm. and then... You're, or you, you meet up with them or you're searching for them all night and you finally meet them or yes. living in the city. Hey, hey, let's meet at this place at this time and then let's go on this adventure and you see who you meet up with or who you pick up or traveling in Europe, meeting wonderful people that you are going in different directions and you don't want to leave them and say, hey, in two weeks, let's meet in this country, in this town. And you do. And mm-hmm. it's all based on this like <laughs> connection and initial communication and exploration and now you know where everyone is you can um, message someone immediately Mm -hmm. and again it it has that positive of connection but it also takes away it kind of takes away the i think some a lot of this improvisation as you're talking about the spontaneity of just what is going to happen next yes I know. I think back to when I was in college, sort of like you were describing. And, you know, one of the things you would do on a Friday night would be to like walk around looking for people, you yeah, know, <laughs> right. and eventually you would find them. And then maybe you like glom on together as a group and then you go walk around and find more people or maybe you stay where you are and other people come to you. But but just that experience of sort of like being open to chance and what's going to happen yeah. in this environment. And I kind of have an objective here, but it's OK if it gets derailed and I do something else. You know, Totally, totally. So what do you think for, for, for adults and also for adults raising kids, you know, this is a, this debate about phones and do you put them away and do you limit the use? Mm -hmm. Um, do you have an, I mean, just from your own suggestions, your own research, do you have an idea about what 
we as adults should be doing and what you think we should be doing with kids to help them? This is something I, I do think about, even though I'm not a parent, because um, I talk a lot with my students about this mm -hmm. and I teach college. So, you know, I'm teaching students who are mostly between the ages of 18 and 24 for the most part. But who are really bridging that divide between um, later childhood and young adulthood and then adulthood fully fledged, right? Yeah. Um, as they go through college, especially in their first few years. So yeah, I, I talk to them about things like how they hang out with their friends, how they used to hang out with their friends, how they use their phones to enable hanging out or else how it prevents them from hanging out. And one thing I've noticed is that, you know, having a sense of people that you can hang out with, and I mean in person, it's nice to have them on the internet, but having a sense of those people who exist for you in person is a key factor in success for young people in a number of ways. Like just feeling that there's someone you can go to complain to if you need to, or to talk about a problem you're having or an assignment or whatever, having that support system that exists in person for you is so important. It's mm -hmm. good to have it back home. It's good to have those parents back home who support you too, or, and it's good to have your friends on the internet but it's not a replacement for building those structures in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, my, my suggestion is always that um, our phones are a tool. They are not the only tool that we have mm -hmm. access to. If we mm -hmm. rely on them too heavily as our only tool, there are some, you know, downsides to doing that. <laughs> right. And you know what I really like about that approach? And of course, you're talking with um, more mature young adults. Um, <laughs> However, it really is um, a highly effective technique with younger kids as well, which is the idea of asking them questions, like the Socratic method of like asking them questions about their experience and what they think about hanging out online, DMing, Snapchatting, being in person, doing it all together in person while they're online. Um, <laughs> what they think about it, what do they like the most? Does it have positives? Does it have negatives? And when we can help young people think and have space to think without us telling them what to do, everything they learn more. Everything sticks a little more. It, there's more room for trial and error. And we say, like, you know, if we. I think there are times when we actually need to limit screen use for young people, depending on the situation. That's a whole mm -hmm. other, other podcast <laughs> or two. Um, <laughs> but ideally, we're trying to help these young people grow and have awareness and have uh, regulation. So when they go off to college or go off to live on their own, we're not there to tell them what to do or what not to do, right? So we're trying to raise yeah. this person to be thinking about this stuff um, in advance without overly limiting and controlling when exactly. at all possible. And just as a kind of illustration of that point, um, I notice a difference when I work with college freshmen versus students who are more advanced in their college career. If mm -hmm. I have a class of primarily freshmen, when I walk into that classroom at the start of class, it is usually silent and people are mostly on their phones, right? And that makes sense. Like they're still sort of uncomfortable with their surroundings. They don't know that many people. They're talking to somebody somewhere else, you know, that maybe helps them feel more comfortable in that moment. But when I walk into most classes that are mostly juniors and seniors, there's conversation going on almost every single time, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. people eventually adjust to the environment and they get to know each other and they know the people in their major and they feel more comfortable and they form friendships, et cetera. So oh, like I see those things happening. And I also see how technology sometimes works to fill the holes while they're still happening, you know, while they're still. Yeah. Flying. Well said, well said. <laughs>
So if you could give one gem to all of us, everyone listening, how to expand or up their hangout game, just like one thing to consider, and you can actually do a few if, if, if it's really important, but it's like just how do we make this simple for people to take a step? Um, I would say take and create opportunities, which mm. basically just means that when somebody asks you to do something or an opportunity presents itself, say yes. Even if you don't think you might be interested in the particular thing, even if it's something that doesn't feel like comfortable or familiar to you, take that risk, take that opportunity and vice versa. Create opportunities, invite other people to do the exact same things. Even if you don't think it's going to be inside their wheelhouse or even if it might be weird for them, give it a shot. Nice. All right, everyone, take and create opportunities. And what I'm going to add to that, which is peppered throughout your book and what we talked about today is take a risk. It like, it really does. It, it, it like we, don't want to minimize that doing this for many is a risk, mm -hmm. a risk of what's going to happen, the uncertainty, will I be rejected? How is it going to go? Go for it. Go for it. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to have an experience and you're going to learn something. Okay, we're both nodding our heads for those of us who can't see us. We're really connecting on that topic. <laughs> okay. okay, so Sheila, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or had an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness, whatever it may be, had a positive impact on yourself and those you love. So I will talk about a time that involves mountain climbing. Um, because in the book, I talk about mountain climbing a little bit, which is something I did a lot growing up in the Pacific Northwest, um, really inspired by my father, who was really, really into mountain climbing at a level beyond anything I will ever accomplish. Um, but when I was young, you know, my dad taught me how to climb and taught me how to hike and took me on climbs and hikes. And in the book, I talk about one um, nearly disastrous climb that we were on together when I was in my young 20s, when we had a pretty dramatic fall on a mountain. And we ended up fine and everything was okay, but it was very scary. But a moment I think of actually occurred about four years after that, um, when I was on a hike with my dad and with the man who would later become my partner, was just my boyfriend at the time. And my boyfriend was very new to the outdoors and new to hiking, but I had wanted him to come on a hike with my dad and me. And we were going up um, a peak in the North Cascades in Washington state. And my dad, who was at that point in his young 60s, um, had started to experience sciatica in his leg and sometimes would just experience numbness where he couldn't walk anymore. Mm -hmm. And we were in this really steep section of the trail and he just kind of froze up and he couldn't keep going for a while. And there was this moment where I was like sitting there talking to him when I realized that we had shifted in our roles um, mm. away from that place we'd been in four years ago when we'd had the scary fall. And I was the one that was now encouraging and comforting him, but also being like, it's okay if we don't make it to the top. It's okay if it takes us all day. Wow. It's not a big deal. We can sit here and we can rest. Wow. And it was an important moment for me because I realized I was sort of in charge in that yeah. moment. Um, in a way I had never been before um, under those same circumstances with him. All right, that gave me that gave me the 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 flutters, the chills there. It's like that's that moment that like the changing of the guards, almost like the and mm -hmm. the the seeing the parents at times when we see our parents in certain ways is more of the immortal person to that we see the the true mortality. 
Mm-hmm. And um, with that, did was there also any fear that came up for you? Like, wait a second, this oh, is I was the terrified. guy. Yeah, I was he's terrified. Yeah, yes. I imagine that, right? <laughs> I was trying yeah. to act like very, very calm on the surface, but I was, yeah, yeah I was completely terrified because meanwhile, I'm doing all the mental calculations of like, how do we get him down if he can't walk and like, yeah. you know, everything like that, but, but didn't bother to say that, right? Instead right. was just like, okay, we're just going to take a moment and we're going to rest and we're going to see what right. we can do and it'll right. be all right. <laughs> right. Man. See, that's good parenting. We end up parenting our parents (laughs) at times, right? Like it's like that, okay, here's how we're going to get through this situation. And here's, I have to manage my own stuff and not put it on the person or the situation. Right. Wow. Thank you for that moment and that awareness. Thank Um, you very much. (laughs) Okay, everyone. Hanging out the radical power of killing time with our friend, Sheila Liming. Sheila, tell everyone... What's up? Where to get it? Where you're speaking and everything related? Um, the Radical Power of Killing Time, Hanging Out, is available um, in pretty much every bookstore in America at this point in time. At least it's been in all the ones that I've visited, including the Pittsburgh International Airport recently. Um, and yeah, I'm continuing to do um, interviews of this kind in promotion for the book, and the paperback version will be coming out this summer as well. Awesome. Uh, where should people, what's the, like the one place people can find you, even though I know not on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, not on Facebook, but you can find me on my website, SheilaLiming.com, or you can find me on Twitter where my handle is see, she speak three words. Oh, nice. See, she speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Sheila, thank you very much. I really enjoyed hanging out with you. And, um, I am really going to be thinking about how (laughs) to take opportunities to create this. Thank you. This was fun. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please share this with everyone that you know uh, is good at hanging out or needs to um, expand their hanging outness. There is so much opportunity. There are so many stories within the story um, for you to read in this book. Please share this with everyone. Thank you for your five star reviews. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Try to be that person you want your child to become. And ask yourself that guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.